Pull yourself up a chair and join us at the Energy Roundtable. Welcome to the Energy Roundtable. Uh, this is our weekly or almost weekly get together where we talk about some of the recent news. Uh, often we trade our news articles ahead of time. We didn't this time, so let's see how it goes. Um, and uh, as always, my uh, my sparring partner, Lisa Barber. Lisa, welcome. Thank you, Matt. But I will correct you on the last name. <laughs> oh, no. Again, how many times have I made that mistake? Let's, we should start I, again. Let's no, start again. no, 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 no. If you want to start again, you may start again, but you really don't have to. Let's, let's start again. Um, welcome to the Energy Roundtable, the weekly or mostly weekly uh, conversation with Lisa Katz and myself, where we talk about the energy news and notes of the week. Usually we compare our notes ahead of time. This time we have not, so we're going in totally blind. Uh, Lisa, welcome. Thank you, Matt. How are you this wonderful Friday? I'm uh, doing, doing great. And you? Very good. Very good. Today's my actual, our, our wedding anniversary, so it's an extra special day for me too. So, Well, congratulations and happy uh, anniversary to you and your much better half. So. <laughs> 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 thank you, thank uh, you. Very exciting. So will you celebrate this weekend? Uh, we're actually celebrating tonight. Uh, we're okay. bringing Peyton up for dinner. So uh, we're okay. having an early one at five o'clock today before her sure. bedtime. But uh, yeah, that's the plan. Fun, fun. Good, good. Well, let's jump in. Why don't you, uh, since it's your anniversary, why don't you go first? And why don't you have the first article? Sure, no problem. So actually, this article is uh, is uh, courtesy of my in-laws, believe it or not. They know that I do Energy Roundtable. They listen in occasionally. Wow. Uh, yeah. So this is from the Montreal Gazette because they are from Montreal. Right. And uh, it's titled Limiting Climate Change with Smarter Climate Control. And it's basically um, talking about a um, technology provider or a company that's based in the Montreal area. It's called Brainbox AI. And um, they're basically a technology that's essentially the size of a microwave oven. Um, and it's used to optimize existing heating, cooling, and ventilation in big buildings like office towers, for example. And essentially, it's an, a, an autom- um, a AI technology that uh, kind of uses a brain to constantly analyze and automate and adjust different, you know, the HVAC system, essentially, resulting in significant uh, reductions in energy use and, of course, carbon emissions and energy associated with that, those emissions. Um, so what I think is kind of cool about this is it's... Um, you know, it's really aimed at older buildings because older buildings can be very difficult to retrofit. I didn't look up the technology in any more detail other than what it states here in this article. So I'm not sure exactly how it works. Like if it's, um, you know, because it is artificial intelligence, is it looking at, for example, how many people come into a room, you know, five days a week uh, and controlling the HVAC based on that? Or is it how many people are coming through the doors, you know, in the morning at certain hours and then changing the HVAC to accommodate all of those different situations? Um, but just the fact that it is kind of aimed or the market that they're attacking is aimed at older buildings, which do consume a lot of energy um, in comparison with obviously, you know, buildings that might be LEED certified, for example, and meet those newest energy standards or latest energy standards, uh, I think is a good thumbs up, especially as we continue down this road of, you know, sustainability and, and um, doing better for the planet. The description of being the same size as a microwave uh, is a strange description. Uh, yes. <laughs> it sounds like it's some computer platform and, and computers these days are often a lot smaller. Um, you know, it reminds me of growing up, you play, you know, charades or, or something or is it bigger than a bread box, right? That kind of 
<laughs> but, uh, you know, certainly thumbs up, number one, because, you know, it was uh, from somebody who's uh, sent us the article from from outside of, of you and I. So that's kind of fun. But, um, yeah, I think the fact that, um, you know, there's a that it's software and it's energy management. Those two things give me another thumbs up. Certainly at CEM, the EM stands for energy management. So that's a big deal. If we can conserve that, we don't have to generate as much. Right. If we can conserve it on the back end. We don't have to generate so much. So that's great. And then I, I think the world is going to go more and more towards software and how can we leverage AI and, and, and different you know, technologies within our you know computer systems and the Internet of Things and then all that stuff. Uh, very, very exciting. So cool. Well, we'll uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. The, the, the old buildings, the older buildings uh, piece is also very exciting because we have many of those throughout the world. So yeah, uh, very good. My article is uh, my first one is from a, uh, a website called the Balkan Green Energy News.com, Balkan Green Energy News.com. And the headline is Croatia to subsidize heating and cooling systems using energy from the Adriatic Sea. So, as part of, I guess, the EU Green Deal, um, the, the funding mechanisms casca cascade down to each of the different countries. And uh, Croatia is working on this subsidy program for heat pumps uh, to take heat or cooling um, to and from the, the seawater. Um, and so what's kind of cool is often what's old is new again. There is uh, kind of precedent for this in Croatia 20 years ago for doing this a little bit. And whether those systems are operating uh, isn't clear, but really to use heat pump technology to drive heating and cooling. Um, which, you know, we, we often talk about air or ground source heat pumps, um, but this is sea-driven heat pumps. So I guess Croatia has quite a, a coastal area. I've never had the pleasure of being there myself, but uh, really excited for, you know, they're excited for all the kind of ho um, hotels and resorts and condos along the coast that can, uh, can benefit from this. So uh, we'll see if it's a model for elsewhere, but uh, heat pumps from the sea. Interesting. Very exciting. I give it a thumbs up for sure, um, especially because we know that, uh, you know, some of these technologies already work in downtown Toronto where they're taking, you know, water and uh, and, uh, you know, cooling or heating buildings, you know, at various times of the year. So I think that's pretty exciting. And just uh, the the whole idea of heat pumps. I mean, I think it's coming up a lot more uh, in district energy systems and just, uh, you know, in general, just, uh, you know, from an energy perspective. So, um, yeah, it's exciting. We'll have to, you know, somebody will have to go there and check it out and, you know, see if the technology works, right? Yeah. Uh, a, good, a good trip to Croatia. Uh, apparently, it's a beautiful country. Yes, I have not been there either. It's on, it's on my bucket list, though. <laughs> so my next article is from bizjournals.com. It's called Stanford Plans to, get a, to Go 100% Solar Electricity by Next Year. Um, and so the article is basically... Stanford, as in the Ivy League of the West? That's correct. Okay. Uh, yes, that is correct. And um, basically, they're talking about the, I guess, early adoption that they had in 2015. They installed five megawatts of rooftop solar panels that went very, very well. And then they connected its first solar generating station in 2016. Um, so this is Stanford Solar Generating Station number one near Rosamount in the Mojave Desert, I guess, already produces 65% of the electricity the Bay Area institutions needs in, in wow. the daytime. And then the second solar generating station from recurrent energy in Kings County is expected to fulfill the rest of what's needed. 
And then the article further goes on to say that the school also plans to eliminate all of its greenhouse gas emissions in the next decade, which I think is great. So I'm giving the article a big thumbs up because that's pretty aggressive. Uh, of course, you could argue that they're going to be about 90% there, likely, because just based on the you know institution, they've got some heating, obviously, um, likely with boilers and natural gas. Um, what's interesting is I'm not quite sure how they're going to get to the greenhouse, you know, to eliminate all the rest of the greenhouse gas emissions. You know, is it electric uh, boilers? Are they going to continue down this electrification route? Or are they going to be looking at taking, you know, RNG from pipelines and, uh, you know, using that to eliminate the carbon? Um, in fossil fuel equipment or hydrogen or some other fuel source. So it'll be interesting to kind of keep tabs on it, as especially just because, you know, they are suggesting that over the next decade, they'll basically be carbon neutral. I'm going to go thumbs down on this one. And because, I, and maybe I missed it, but there must be some storage play or there, I'm kind of, I'm kind of sick of these stories that say we're going all renewable energy. Well, no, you're not. You're going all renewable electricity. And two, you're relying on somebody to do the storage or the arbitrage of, hey, you know, it's not sunny all the time, even in Southern California. So um, for that reason, I'm going to go thumbs down because I, it just I mean, it's obviously a good news story for the industry, big, high profile university. But it's kind of white, not whitewashing it, but it's kind of glossing over some of the, the other practical realities, which at some point we will have to deal with as an as a industry is we are going to have to figure out the storage piece and, and we are, but you know, there are aspects of that, um, which actually transitions nicely to my article, which is uh, an article from, uh, we'll stay on the, the, the left coast of uh, North America or the West coast. This article is from, I don't know what I'm saying this right. The Sanish news, S A A N I C H news. Uh, dot com from the west uh, from BC BC Hydro planning future without Vancouver Island's largest gas-fired power plant. So there is a large uh, combined cycle. Uh, well, it doesn't say it's combined cycle, but it's a 275 megawatt natural gas-fired power plant uh, that has a contract with BC Hydro. It's op it's owned and operated by Capital Power, and it is set to mm. expire in uh, April of 22. So we are like talking about six or seven months away, and there is no um, clarity as a result of BC Hydro's integrated resource plan on whether or not that agreement will be renewed. Um, and certainly it brings significant value to the local Campbell uh, River community, uh, but also, you know, it brings significant value in terms of providing these kind of fast moving grid changes and yeah. grid firming on cold and hot days. And, um, and so, yes, it is kind of the, or one of the largest emitters of, of GHGs, at over 100,000 tons a year of, of uh, greenhouse gas emissions, but um, those gas emissions provide some value. So, um, I mean, the article is good. The, the news story is kind of a thumbs down because, you know, there's not a, um, I, I don't think there's a plan for this. Maybe there is, but the article certainly doesn't portray one. So, yeah, I was going to ask that. Do they say, you know, how they're going to be replacing that, that loss? No, it's, it's, it's it, the, the, the article is, is silent with respect to that. And, and it talks about, you know, having a, a final plan. They had a draft, the final plan by the end of the year, but that has to go through some consultation. And by then, it, by then, they may be in the process of decommissioning it um, as a liability. So, yeah, it's there's no real clarity for the for the operators here. 
Interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's a shame. And I mean, I guess a plant like that, you know, I mean, there's obviously other cleaner fuel sources. I mean, especially with uh, Fortis BC, obviously there's a lot of renewable natural gas that they're continuing to procure through various parts of really Canada, not just, you know, within BC. Yes, it would require a lot of RNG uh, for a facility like that. But, you know, could they run a percentage on it? Could there be some other plans? It just the article seems to, uh, you know, just suggest similar to I think there was a, an article. This is going back a little while back and I can't remember what European country, but same thing. They were planning to pull the truck, the plug, but there yeah. was no there was no real understanding of how they would replace that power. So for that I reason, I, I do also give the, the article a thumbs down. I think that was in Poland, uh, where that. Uh, yeah, where you're that, right. Actually, that I think you're right. Good memory. Yeah. So we're we're gonna go to one more segment, but before we do, um, so we try to bring through our kind of uh, different platforms, we try to bring the news to uh, a bunch of different stories. Lisa, you have a, a different um, rhythm of of bringing the news, a different medium. Maybe talk a bit about what you and and uh, and Mark do with Energy News. Yeah, sure. So Energy News is basically it's a weekly, um, you know, post or uh, uh, yeah, post social media post that typically goes out on LinkedIn. Uh, the purpose is really to educate you as the uh, listeners and or viewers, because it is uh, we you know, we do go uh, visual there. Uh, Mark does a really good job of making it look like an actual news stations, uh, you know, uh, video or um, post. So. Yeah, we, it, it's short. It's uh, typically within the range of about roughly, I think, three, sometimes four minutes at the at the longest. Um, and I cover off two of the larger articles that I choose throughout the week. And then Mark kind of captures various articles. Uh, in addition to energy news, we also have an energy newsletter that comes out monthly now. And what it is is basically a collection of all of the stories that Mark and I have compiled on a weekly basis. So for those of you that can't actually, you know, maybe you don't have three or four minutes in your day to actually look at it or you prefer kind of a printed version, the newsletter is available. So you can contact CEM for a copy of that if you like, or it does go on our website as well. Okay, great. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and for those, the energy news is good for those of you who you know, SNL's weekend update is not uh, always new because they don't have many episodes. So if you're looking for something similar, you know, the energy news is a good replacement while uh, while they're on their hiatus. So yeah, and, good. I well, did, and just maybe just to add quickly to that, um, we do try to, you know, update people on regulations and just mm. and we try to do a little bit of content from both Canada and the U.S. So right. um, yeah, I, I love it. It's great. Good. Well, let's bring your uh, energy news partner in crime uh, back to the show uh, for our face-off. Uh, Mark Charbonneau, how's your uh, your connection? Are you still with us? I am. Um, it, I am getting a little bit of interference here, though, so we'll uh, see how this goes. Okay. Um, so for, for today's topic, we will do, um, as you know, like school's approaching for the kids again um and it looks like as of now they're going back um we'll see Good. if that uh, continues but yeah um so yeah so it's the pros and cons of uh children returning to in-class learning and i will allow um i think last time matt took the coin toss so i'll let lisa have the coin toss here heads or tails heads it is tails okay well, I know Lisa's prepared both sides of the argument, and I, <laughs> as demonstrated visibly by my body language, um, I only have one side to this article, so I will be pro-kids going back to school. Ooh. Can I start? Sure can. 
Um, so, I mean, I have a very vested interest in this. I have two kids who are going back to school and who are very excited about it. Um, and they will go into grades four and two, I think, if I'm right. Um, they don't watch this, so uh, okay <laughs> if I'm wrong. But um, they have been, you know, kind of last fall they were in kind of, but then really off and on hardly in at all. In the, in the back half of the school year here in Ontario, we were shut for, I don't know, 26 weeks, some crazy number like that. And and it, and it really erodes on the kids' mental health. You know, they, they, they like all of us, are, you know, value routine. They value community. They value interaction. They value, you know, kind of that rhythm of going to a place, kind of coming home, knowing the start and the stop. Um, and, and yes, they've adapted. Yes, they learned how to learn online. But uh, to me, there are uh, so many benefits of, for them being in person, playing with their friends. My, my son has friends he hasn't seen in almost two years and um, because hockey wasn't happening and this and that. So you know, kids are meant to play with other kids. You know, they're meant to be outside. They're meant to be, you know, throwing spitballs at the back of their teacher's head that doesn't work as well online. And, we know what uh, that was doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I was, I, was, I was a good kid. I was ratting on the other kids who were doing that. Uh, for the record, uh, but no, it, it's they need to be back there. They need to be. Oh, Lisa's just given up. She's left. She is. She knows I have won this. Um, and so, yes, there are risks. But I mean, these kids have learned to mitigate the risks the same way we have. I mean, my kids, we leave the house. They have masks on in the car. We say to them, you don't have to put it on, but they, they're comfortable with it. So they've learned to distance. They've learned to wash their hands. They've learned to wear masks. Uh, and so they've mitigated the risks. Uh, I'm, I'm not even going to dabble in kind of the, the, the science of it um, in terms of the medical and virology. Uh, I just, to me, the, the benefits of being there, being in person, getting back to, not to mention the knock-on benefits to the parents of having the kids in their normal routines, to me, that, that significantly outweighs, uh, outweighs the risks. So um, we're counting down the days and the hours in our house. That's all I have to say. All right, oh so I guess it's, is it my turn now? Yeah. All right, well. You so can concede, for, you can pass. For, for those of you that listen in, uh, and, and some of you that may know me, and Matt, of course, and Mark know me, I, as Matt suggests, I always prepare. So I always prepare on two pieces of paper, okay? And so here's my pro list, okay? Yep. And there's my cons list. <laughs> because awesome. I, I actually, when I was preparing, I said, you know what? There is zero chance of me even making an argument here because I don't even believe in it. I can't even like properly argue the con side. And well, that means Matt, Lisa wins, I guess. Pardon me? <laughs> I said, well, I guess that means Lisa wins then. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and just more, you know, seriously, uh, you know, Matt touched on a lot of those points and you know, it's really hard for me to kind of comment from a personal perspective because we have a 13 month old at home, not, you know, kids that are going into, you know, second and fourth grade, but so I can only really, um, feel and and uh kind of understand what you know people are going through through some of my friends who do have older kids and that mental health thing is really real like the anxiety the depression the fear um the fact that those you know those important younger years when you're younger and that the social aspect of making friends and the impact that it will have on on um you know those younger those younger children as they're aging and not being able to get that back to me there's there's no positives at all um so we have enough um understanding of covid and you know how it you know the you know whether it surfaces or wearing masks or um just the, some of the symptoms and some of the testing that's available now in my mind no it you, you got to get these kids back in the classroom yeah 
Mark, you have uh, two kids that uh, are part of your family there. Are, are they pretty excited to get back? Yeah, oh, very. And I've noticed a difference in them as well. Like they're just, they're just ready to go back. And I think they're very well equipped with being out of school for so long. I think they have the knowledge and they kind of get a the severity of it and um you know the hygiene aspects and so i think uh now more than ever it would be a good time for them to go back and like i said they're well equipped with uh the know-how yeah and and i i really really hope that they go back and they're back i mean i know we're, we're in the middle of you know kind of the uh, the upswing on the fourth wave i get that um but i just at the start and stop is is as hard as being from home is the start and stop and this looming uncertainty of, oh, no, what's going to happen by Thanksgiving or what's going to happen by Christmas? So, yeah, um, yeah. so we'll, we'll only time will tell. Uh, but, uh, yeah, looking forward to back to school. And uh, thank you both for uh, your contribution, as always, to uh, trying to help our clients uh, be more knowledgeable about what's happening in the world of energy and power and everything in between. Uh, never boring. So thank you both. Thank you to our listeners and our viewers. And as always, if you have any suggestions to improve or to get better, please let us know. Thank you.